Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Slick Pivot Sessions. I'm Liz Ward, the UK's first pivot coach and founder of Slick Pivot. This is the podcast where I dig, delve and deconstruct the journeys of people who have pivoted their careers. Today my guest is award-winning chef Matt Healy. He's a restaurateur and was a runner-up in MasterChef The Professionals in 2016. Matt trained to be a chef straight out of school and worked his way up the ranks in top restaurants. Now, Matt and his team have seen huge success at their restaurant, Matt Healy Times The Foundry, winning loads of awards, including Britain's Best Roast Dinner, The Best City Centre Restaurant, and a Michelin Plate. In this Slick Pivot session, Matt shares his pivot journey. We talk about mentors, self-belief, and managing being in the public eye. I've known Matt a long time, but we had not spoken since before he went on MasterChef. It was brilliant to dive deep into his pivot story. He was a great guest. Now, this interview comes in two parts, part one pre-lockdown and part two post-lockdown. You can hear part two on the App Store now. I hope you enjoy this interview. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a written review and a star rating on Apple Podcasts. This really helps me grow the podcast and keep bringing you amazing guests. Let's do this. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, Liz. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the Slip Pivot Sessions. Um, You're welcome. You are the guest so far that I have known the longest. I think we have known each other since we were five or something that's, like that. that. By my reckoning, that's 32 years. <laughs> um, so it's, that's kind of crazy. And um, I'm really, really excited about talking about your journey to where you are today. Um, because, you know, even though I knew you when you were five, uh, we, haven't, we haven't been in touch for much of the of the last year, few years where you've been through some like pretty crazy pivot points. Um, yeah. You've been on MasterChef, you've had your three restaurants um, and, uh, you know, you've got a whole lot of stuff ahead of you as well. So I'd love us to just talk to talk through your your journey. And I know, you know, you'd say to yourself that, you know, you you came from nothing and you started off washing washing up at Fat Franco's, which was the Italian restaurant in Horsforth, with yeah. dreams of being a chef. Um, so what happened from that point? Well, I don't really think I had dreams and aspirations of being a chef, to be fair. I just sort of fell into it because my parents didn't have a lot of money and I wanted to do things. You know, we, when we were sort of 15, 16, we were, we were going out to parties and stuff and I wanted to be involved in that. So I started washing up and then I realised that whilst I was there, I really liked the environment. It was sort of a bit, a bit hectic and disruptive and unpredictable, and I and I and I really enjoyed that um, environment, being in that environment. Um, so whilst at Pat Franco's, I used to while I was washing the pots and stuff and, and watching what was going on, they were giving me jobs like peeling potatoes and chopping parsley and all the rubbish jobs that we give to commie chefs to sort of so they can cut their teeth, so they know you know that the the basic jobs of a kitchen. Mm-hmm. and um i really really enjoyed it so i thought well off the back of that i might as well bundle through the last year at school um and and go to college and and that's what i did and i took that route and it, and it took me a few years to sort of find my feet and what style of food and, and what, what did you do at college was it like a catering college or something yeah i just did a it was city and guild 7061 7062 in food preparation and cooking mm-hmm. i don't even think they do them anymore i think it's an mvq now so it's a guaranteed pass right. um so i did that and then i and i sort of worked at some new jazzy restaurants and got in a new circle of friends and stuff and, and started to cut my teeth in, in Leeds. Um, and then 
my biggest turning point in my career was when I went to work for um, a fella called Simon Shaw, who owns El Gato Negro. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the original one that he had in Rippenden, and it was an old boozer um, just in a little village just outside Halifax. So I went to work up there, and I was like, do I really want to do tapas? And then when I went in there, and it was just my world changed like the the, the flavors and the environment and, and everything about working for Simon was just absolutely incredible and he, he battered me four <laughs> years like it was it like man, the classic you know like you see on tv the chef shouting at you sort of but but there was there was method to his mad to his madness do you know what I mean so he was it was never personal um he'd never say anything that would cut too deep it was always about work and, and he was he made the point of that it's always about work so if I do something wrong he told me, and he told me in such a way that I didn't do it again. So I didn't make those mistakes again. But after service, so, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, we'd have a beer together and we'd discuss the day. And now Simon is, I would say, well, he's my mentor, but he's one of my closest friends as well. So I bounce all kinds of things off him. And every chef that's worked for him, especially in the early days, has gone on to great things. So uh, Mark Kemp, a lad that used to work for Simon, he's got his own restaurant, Ed Wilson. He's got a restaurant on Columbia Road in London. Uh, myself, a few other lads that work from Harvey Nichols. So he sort of, he really set me off on that journey of loving what I do. At the, at the start, I loved it, and then I got bored of it. And then I worked for Simon, and it, and it, and it just changed. You know, that, just, I guess that was the first point. Yeah, it just shows when you, you know, what a leader can do, doesn't it? Mm. Like, and how having somebody that believes in you, that gives you feedback that you respond to, that, yeah. you know, keeps you kind of learning and growing without you because some people can respond in all sorts of different ways to feedback but it sounds like he was a great guy at that point so what what did you do after working with him i went to london um i think that's when we last saw each other uh, so i went to london um and i worked at a restaurant called terroir yes. and i went down there as uh, uh they call it a chef de party that was my position so i went from being a head chef at el gato negro to a chef de party so like three uh levels below uh, what I was previously working at, but that just showed you the level I was going to. So I was willing to step back to learn more. So you went lower um, to get into a, yeah. a a more prestigious restaurant. Is that fair? Yeah, and yeah, then... and, and and going to work in London as well. It was totally outside my comfort zone. I was I'm Leeds born and bred, you know, and moving away sort of was a real push out of my comfort zone. Um, but after going to um, the big city with the big lights and like leaving, how old are you? I was twenty. Five, I think so it's so you know I wasn't exactly young um but but still sort of leaving all those home comforts leaving all my friends like I like I, I knew you that lived in London and a couple of others but I didn't and because of the industry that I was in it wasn't like I could meet for drinks on a Friday because Friday evening was my busiest service we were right in the center right off Charing Cross Road um so it was right by Trafalgar Square so it was pre-theater post-theater we were getting absolutely slammed daily yeah. Um, and I think my record week in hours there was 97 hours I worked in a week. Wow. Over six, over six days. And how do you um, function when you're working like that? It's just, I think you just go on to autopilot. So we used to start at 7, 7.30 in the morning. Uh, and then we'd get, because everything was done that day. Nothing was carried over. So we, we, we made everything fresh every single day. So we had to be in at 7 to make sure we had all the prep done for lunch. Mm-hmm. And then we'd get hammered at lunch because we were right by the city and then we'd we'd go again for, for dinner service so we'd have like a three-hour window in the afternoon and I, ju- I think I just I was just like I didn't want to show any sign of weakness so I just got on I just got on and I just kept my head down and I got promoted after a month to sous chef which is I was one under the head chef oh, well there's two, ki- there two kitchens there so there was two of us um 
myself and a fella called Sandy. Um, so we each pretty much took a kitchen and the head chef sort of wrote the menus and dealt with the, the costings and all the paperwork and all the boring side of stuff. So, so Sandy and I were allowed to just sort of run the kitchen, which was great. But it was good. It was testament to what I'd learned from Simon. Mm-hmm. After four weeks of being there, being like, okay, he knows what he's doing. We can take the reins off him a little bit, which was really nice to be in a prestigious restaurant like that and, 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 and have autonomy on stuff, you know, it was great. Yeah, but what wonderful thing, like you took that, you took that leap really to kind of go lower in terms of rank, move to London, totally out of your comfort zone and then worked hard. And within a month, they really saw the potential in you and promoted you. It just shows that when you, you know, really gave something that can happen. I think it's just got, I think I just had focus. I just, I didn't have any distractions because I was there pretty much all the time. I literally went back to my flat that I was paying an absolute fortune for to stay in four hours a day. It's expensive so, down here. <laughs> yeah, so expensive. So I didn't have, I didn't have the luxury of friends, so to speak. So I wasn't going out and partying. I was just fully focused, 100% on, right, I'm here. I don't know how long I'm here for, but whilst I'm here, I'm going to get my head down and get stuck in. And, and, and that seemed to work for me at the time. So what happened after, after being there? What, what made that come to an end? Well, my, my, my old man got diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, and I met my now ex-wife. <laughs> so I thought I, c- I can use this as an excuse to go back up north without it looking like weakness. Do you know what I mean? So I wasn't saying I'm chucking the towel in because the work's too much or I'm working too many hours. Yeah. When in, in hindsight, I was. I was absolutely running myself into the ground with exhaustion and, and what have you. Um, so I just sort of said, you know, my dad's poly. I need to go and, and sort of spend his twilight years with him. So I moved back up to Leeds. That must have been a real kind of point in time where you were like, oh, I need to, I need to be with my family. Yeah, like- definitely. I, I wanted to be close. I wanted to be close by. Um, for no other reason. Well, I say no other reason. I, 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 I had a turbulent relationship with my parents growing up. And then when I got older, I sort of realised the importance. And then when something like that happens, you sort of realise your own mortality and, and, and the things around you. And you're like, well, we're not here forever. So what we need to do is be nice. and spend time with the people that we love and that's what I did um and I went to work for a, a manufacturing company essentially a development chef so I went from working 97 hours a week to working 37 and a half hours a week as a, a sales guy slash development chef for this global firm which so it's was a nine to five Monday to Friday more normal hours back home in Leeds it was unreal I didn't know what to do I felt <laughs> like I had so I had so much time and because because so much time had elapsed from sort of what, what happened when I first started is people would bring me like friends, your brother, my brother, friends that we had growing up with would be like, do you want to go for a beer on Friday? I'm like, I can't, I can't come, I'm working. I can't come, I'll come after. And I, and I never made it. And then it yeah. got to the point where they stopped calling, not because they didn't want to hang out with me, but because they were like, we don't want to rub it in that we're going out and he's stuck in a kitchen. Yeah, so, almost so, protecting you a little bit so that you didn't have to say no and get FOMO that you were missing totally. out on, yeah. on the pints. Yeah, so, 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 so that... That happened, and, and, and then when, when, I, when I came back to Leeds and I had you know, a company car and a really nice salary and 37 hours, I used to do 37 hours in two days. And did like, you get paid more money than you were getting paid in the kitchen? Yeah, yeah, but, I, but, but the way that I looked at it was, I considered it, it was, a, it was a 100% pay rise because I got 60 hours a week back. Right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I did, I, I, got, I got sort of, I got a, a really nice salary for the time and for the area. And, you know, the full package phone, laptop, car, all the stuff that you would associate with a sales guy. Um, but I was still cooking. So I still kept my hand in. 
and then I had all this time, so I, I got fat. I got really fat. <laughs> I went up to like 19 stone. I was like, wow. Wow, did you? Yeah. But I carried it well because I'm six foot four, six foot five. So it's, I can sort of carry it well. But then when you get to that sort of weight, you're like, come on, pal. I need to go to the gym now. Have a and word. Do you think that was because just literally less movement, less running around, being out of breath? or? What? I think it was, I, I, was I, I didn't have any time to indulge anything. I used to have maybe one meal a day when I worked in the kitchen. And you think, oh, chefs are surrounded by food and they want to eat all the time. But it seldom happens where you get a chance to sit down and actually have something to eat. So I lived. I lived my life on coffee and cigarettes at the time, honestly, hundred percent. And then I had 15 minutes every afternoon to wolf some pasta down or smash up some avocado on some toast, just, just to keep me going as fuel. It wasn't, it wasn't for enjoyment. It was, I've just got, I'm not hungry. I've just got to eat something just to make sure that I don't proper X out middle, midway through dinner service, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you see, then you're in a totally different world. You were, you know, seeing your dad, um, had your girlfriend, had your car, selling ovens um, yeah and 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 so how did you get on MasterChef from that point I was we were sat at home one Friday evening um as we did because I had Friday evenings and I had like a little collection of wine so I popped open a nice bottle of Pinot Noir and with the fire on and MasterChef the, the amateurs one was on and we were watching it and it, I'm overcritical of everybody, and, and that's just that's just me. I think that's just the way that I am in the kitchen, in in in, in cooking terms. Yeah. So there was somebody cook, cutting something the wrong way or seasoning something the wrong way. So I was like, oh, I wouldn't do it like that. I'd do it like that, and I wouldn't do it like that. I'd do it like that. And then weirdly enough, the advert came on. Do you want to be part of the next master chef of professionals? And my partner at the time said, Well, go on then, Charlie Big Potatoes. If you think you can cut it better than these, like, have a go. So I was like, through no other reason than pig-headedness so I was like right fine right then yeah I'm gonna prove you wrong <laughs> yeah so I just applied for it on my phone through one eye after a bottle and a half of wine and, and then what did the form ask was it just like what's your name where'd you come from yeah and we, we may call you back due to the volume of applicants we, we may or may not call you back so I forgot about it and then two weeks later phone rang and normally when it's a no caller ID it's either the bank or somebody wanting something um so answered it and they were like, oh, it's so-and-so, so-and-so from China and Mall TV and you've applied to go to MasterChef. And I was like, oh my God, is this even happening? Yeah. So I had, a, I had a telephone interview and they sort of said, what do you do? I said, oh, I've worked in jazzy restaurants up and down the country, uh, but I'm currently, I work, I'm a development chef for a, for a global manufacturing company. And at the end of the day, MasterChef's a TV show. So they're not just going to cast people that are amazing at cooking. They've got to cast some car crash. Do you know what I mean? They've, they've got to cast people that think they're amazing. So, and, <laughs> it's and a reality not, TV show. They make, yeah. it, they make it for entertainment. We know this from all of those shows. That's essentially what it is. It's a reality TV show. So I think when I was cast, I think they thought, this guy's got a bit of bravado. He can talk in front of the camera. It might be fun to have him in for a couple of episodes early doors. But what I kept up my sleeve was that I'd worked for some phenomenal cooks. And I'd actually been doing it since I was 14. So I knew my way around many kitchens. I can shake pans. I can use a knife. I've got a good palate. So I sort of got to the, the interview stage and they put a cat. We're in a hotel in Manchester and they, they sort of interview you on camera. And I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, you've known me many years, Liz, and I'm quite the confident chap when I have to be. And I put, I, with a camera in my face, I, I think I'm quite good. So <laughs> I was just chatting nonsense. And they must have liked it because I got a call back and they were just like, we'd like to offer you a place on the show. Are you available for filming on blah, blah, blah? And I was like, yeah, totally. So I sent me some train tickets through and 
off I went down to to London. Um, and I did all right. But I was you a did? bit sort of lackadaisical about it because everybody down there were like, oh, have you planned your final menu? Have you planned this? Have you planned that? And I was like, no, because if I planned my final menu, I'm almost giving myself a kiss of death there. So I just did it sort of week on week. Mm-hmm. Which Did you want to win? Were you like... This is this, I want to win, or were you? Oh, this is a bit of fun. Let's see what happens. Ha ha ha. Well, what was your at, kind of attitude inside? At the start, I was like, I can't even believe I'm here. Like you, you know, we're in the green room, and Greg Wallace is coming and having a giggle with us, and Marcus Warren's. So at the start, I was like, right, I just want to get past the first round. I want to get, I want to get past the skills test, and I want to just demonstrate that I'm not a complete deadhead. You know that I can actually cook. Do you know what I mean? That's all I wanted to do because you're putting yourself up there and you, the, the, the magnitude of that show is unreal. So at the start, I was just like, right, I just want to get through. I just don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. And then I got through the first show. I was like, all right, wicked. And then I got through the second show and, and started having a bit of sort of creating a bit of a bond with Marcus and Monica and Greg and, and, the, and, the, and the team and the other contestants. And then you get to sort of the final 12 and then, all right, I'm through again. Wow. You, you started banging out amazing sources, didn't you? Yeah. And then I was like, right, okay, well, I'm going to start turning it on now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, gonna, I'm here now. Might as well, in for a penny, in for a pound. And let's see how we get on. And, and then when I got through to like the last four and we cooked, we had to go to the Lombard Street restaurant at Bank in central London. And it's the, they call it the chef's table. And it is, it's a massive culinary event in, 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 the, in the calendar for the year because they invite so many people. And when I was doing it, there was, there were more Michelin stars in the room than there were people. So there was, there was 28 people we cooked for. Heroes, Anton Mossyman, uh, Sat Baines, um, Paul Ainsworth, all these massive names. And we're, we're cooking for them. So I ended up doing really well on that, on that episode. But then what they didn't tell us was after we'd cooked, we had five hours to cook. And I was doing, I was on main courses. You have five hours to cook this 28 portions of this dish. But they don't tell you until after you finish, you're covered, you're sweating, you're boiling, your hands are burnt. They go, right, you have to go out there and stand in front of all your food heroes for criticism. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. So you didn't, they didn't tell you that that was what was going to happen after the day? No, no, because I think that's Probably just a good thing. Panic. Yeah, yeah, totally. But then I walked out to like a huge applause and I was just, I almost, I got really, really emotional, like almost teary. So I was like, gee, I've been... I got the train down that morning at like 5 a.m. We're straight to Lombard Street restaurant, straight filming interviews, meeting people, then bang, you're in the kitchen and then you're cooking and then you're away. Um, and it was just the accumulation of all those nerves, all that stress and getting through it and getting fantastic feedback. And I just, and then the interview, straight after that, they, 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 it's all about that reaction and that great TV. So the interview afterwards, and I think I, think I did actually shed a tear. Yeah. And then... Well, that's it, okay. It, it, it was such a it was such a wonderful wonderful experience and I have I said if I got the chance to do it again I would 100% do it um, because it was it was it was and still is uh, life changing for me. Yeah, and you came second. First how loser. <laughs> the first loser. And how how was that? How was that? I'm assuming you like also two questions like I'm assuming you knew that you obviously didn't win before it got aired as well yeah so the, like all of that must have been quite strange yeah we, we, we finished they finished filming in sort of end of July early August and then it doesn't air until sort of the second or third week in November so you essentially got to keep your mouth shut for sort of five months 
So you almost forget about it in that period of time, sort of get on with your life. Because you can't say anything. You've signed NDAs. You know what I mean? You, you, you've just got to get on with your life and then, and then pick it up again five months later, which is weird because you go from that massive high. Yeah. And then, right, okay, well, tomorrow I'm doing a cookery demonstration for the primary schools of Leeds City Council. So you were back, <laughs> you were, you were back at, the, at the development, doing the development chef job with the ovens. Yeah, I was, I was doing that throughout. So they were quite supportive of me and sort of gave me the time that I needed. Well, so, sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, but I managed to sort of get through what I was doing. Um, and then after it all aired, it was, it was, it was fab. And, and like I said before, it is a reality TV show and you do become quite vulnerable after mm. shows like that. And mm. there is a great support network in place for you when you come out of them, but I don't think, I, I think I went with that sort of mentality of I'm a bloke. I don't need any help off anybody. I'm fine. I'm not going to be, did they, did they offer you support? Cause I, I know when you were on the show, um, obviously, because no one knew you were on the show until it kind of came on TV. So your social media started going a bit bananas at that point, didn't it? Yes, it did. And, 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 and your was profile the... was then, you know, you were in the public eye. You know, you've gone from, oh, it's, it's Matt, he's a chef, to it's Matt, he's on, Master, he's on MasterChef. He's on TV yeah. every week. Um, and you were quite active in social. And so, yeah, so Texas to that point in time, it, you, you come second... They offered, they, they, you know, you were vulnerable. What, what went on for you there at that point? I got offered this, um, what looked like an amazing opportunity on paper um, to be part of this YouTube channel that was being set up and they wanted a leading industry figure, which I, I guess at the time I was, because I'd just come off the back of this show and I was very relevant at the time. Uh, and they liked my look, the way that I looked with my beard and tattoos and the way that I spoke and the swag and all that jazz. Um, so... I sort of I took this opportunity and I was getting paid an absolute fortune. Um, but I was in a studio in St. Albans four or five days a week filming five, six episodes a day. And that's great. But then when you get to Friday and you're on your 20, 28th, 30th video of the day, yeah, it's quite exhausting and you've got to maintain that level of excitement. Um, and that, and that, so when I realized actually I'm being taken advantage of here and being massively taken advantage of all the while that my personal life was, was going to pop, mm-hmm. um, which turns out now wasn't a bad thing, but at the time it, was, it felt like everything was coming crashing down, which was so, really difficult. Yeah. So you were away from home again. You're in St. Albans in a studio, no daylight, you know, cooking yep. for at the camera, which I imagine is quite a different thing to do having you know been in a chef been in a restaurant cooking for people or being on master chef cooking for greg um and, and, and yes it sounded like that started to get to you it, it was it was really difficult because i essentially became a presenter of my own show that nobody would ever see do you know what i mean and, and when i said it out loud now it sounds really daft well you know the the in hindsight, I'm looking at the old me going, why would you do something like that? But then I guess I was just blinded, blinded by pound signs, you know what I mean? And I thought I was the tits coming out of that show. And I was like, well, yeah, I can get a TV show. And the, the, the way that I spun it in my own head was that I'm getting invaluable experience of being on camera with a relatively low audience. Mm-hmm. So if I did cock it up or it wasn't perfect, then it wasn't being, I wasn't exposed to hundreds of thousands of people like I was on television. Yeah. So I'm sort of, learning my craft my new craft i guess in front of the camera with a lower reach a lower audience so if i you know i say if i did mess it up or if it wasn't perfect i could look back on that and and prepare myself for 
you know, what I wanted to do as a second career going forward is potentially getting into television. Yeah, being a, a, what, being a celebrity chef? Well, I, th- I, th- I at think... At the time, so. is that, was that in your head? It must have been in your head at the time. Like, oh, it, was in my, it, it was in my head more so then about, yeah, the fame and the glamour and people wanting selfies in the street. And then, obviously, evolving from that and being where I am now, it's the reason that I want to do TV now is a small amount of ego because I think it's important to have a little bit of ego in this game. But the rest of it is just to drive football because we did a, we did a catch-up show with MasterChef a year after opening the restaurant and it aired on the 27th of December and it had so many viewers. That week between Christmas and New Year, everyone's just sat at home eating Quality Street, <laughs> watching television. I was. And yeah. This, this, yeah, this show was on at 8 p.m. on like a Thursday. And it just went wild. It crashed our bookings. January, February, March, we had record people through the doors. It, it, was, it, it was unbelievable, you know? Yeah. And so they're definitely, it, 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 you know, as a restaurateur, there's a place for that profile building. But it sounds like when you're in the studio in St. Albans, that wasn't the kind of profile building that was fun for you. And you actually weren't cooking for anyone. You were cooking no, virtually. No, I was just cooking for, yeah, for the sake of it. And I think that I realise now that all the, the, a lot of the chefs that work with me are probably disagree with me. My happy place is in the kitchen. It is creating. It is being in that environment where there's, you get instant gratification being a chef, but also on the flip side, you get, you get instant criticism as well. So if somebody doesn't like it, they tell you straight away. If somebody loves it, they like it. Yeah, they, they, they tell you straight away. And I'm really lucky here because I've got a fantastic bunch at the restaurant and we seldom get food sent back. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not that sort of place. Every dish is created with love and attention to detail and, 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 and everything that we, that we do here is, is almost tailored to the fact that the guests will absolutely love it. There's something on the menu for everybody um, and nobody because some people still come after two years of us being here, they don't get what we're doing. So can't please all the people all the time is what I've come up with. No, you can't. You can't, absolutely. And that's, that's a good attitude to have. And so what happened then? So you, how did you get from, from St. Albans to having a restaurant? Well, I was sat with my pal in the pub where most good ideas come from and um we were just chatting about stuff and i think a new restaurant had opened in north leeds and we went in there for a beer because it was new and we wanted to have a little nosy and it, it looked stunning it's a stunning building right on the edge of round day park and uh he said you know we could do something like this and i was like what are you talking about mate i can't open a restaurant do you know what i mean i don't have the business acumen i don't i'm, I'm not academic and you know i just shake hands that's what i do conditioned myself with my sort of narrow-mindedness to think that I was shoehorned into this, I'm just a chef sort of thing. And, and I think that was, my confidence was low as well after everything that was happening personally. And then obviously being in that studio, just like you say, just staring at me, a cameraman and loads of ingredients. Um, so he said, we should open a restaurant. And I was like, nah. He said, mate, there's nothing worse than wasted talent. Let's, let's, see, let's, let's see what we can do with it. So What a gift that he said that to you. Oh, it was, it, I'll be forever grateful I'll name check him, Dale Winter. I'll be forever grateful for him because um, he, he sort of gave me a bit of a nudge to do it. And then so many wonderful people that I've met along the way. My current business partner now is, is like a brother. He's, he's wonderful, Mark. He's, he's the, it's evolved now from being obviously an idea to come to fruition. And to have somebody like Mark, my business partner, that believes in me almost blindly <laughs> do you know what I mean it, 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 it's it's so heartwarming and it, it makes me want to do even better so anyway I digress so we 
we're talking about this idea at the pub and then I'd booked to go on a snowboarding holiday with some friends as we do every year. And um, whilst I was away, uh, Dale and Mark were talking to the banks and coming up with a business plan. And, and then I was snowboarding down this mountain. It was my friend's 40th and we're all together and I'm listening to some music and it's great. And my phone started to ring. I was like, that's weird. Answered it. And he was like, we've got it. And I was like, what do you mean we've got it? And he's like, we've got the fucking money. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, Nat West, Nat West of Factors. I can't believe it. So I'm in the middle of this. It's a beautiful sunny day on the side of this mountain. And I've just been told that we've been given 50 grand by the bank. It's been matched by uh, another business enterprise fund. And I was like, this dream is slowly becoming a reality. And I was absolutely buzzing. Oh, I can see you now on the mountain. You know, what an amazing place to get the news that this is going to happen. A, you must have been class. elated. That night was fun. We drank a lot of champagne that night. And I'm not really a champagne drinker, but I'll tell you what. I had fun that night. <laughs> uh, and so, okay, so then, you know, how did the foundry evolve and how did that come to light? Well, we were, we were looking for a site and there were all these sites and everybody wanted extortionate rent and, and what have you. And, and, and one of the guys, Mark, who's my current business partner now, he's sort of looking on Rightmove and this, this, the foundry came up as it, as it, in, in, in its original forms, the foundry. Um, and he said it was for sale. And I was like, that can't be right. It's weird. So anyway, we, we, had a, we had a bit of a conversation with the, with the previous owners and sort of came down and had a look. And unfortunately, the, the old owner, um, his, his, his wife had some, um, she was quite poly. So he, he had to sort of step away from the business that he'd set up sort of, I think 2005 they opened. Um, so he wanted to step away, but he wanted it to go into good hands. And obviously they'd, they'd seen what I'd done on MasterChef and what have you and the profile that I had in and around Leeds. And obviously with this industry, everybody knows everybody's movements, everybody knows everybody's business. Mm -hmm. It's quite, a, it's quite a, for want of a better word, an incestuous sort of industry where everybody knows everybody's business. So they'd obviously heard about me on the block and that I'd worked for Simon in El Gato Negro and Ed in London and stuff like that. So I had a good pedigree in their mind. Um, and I think there were a few people that were putting bigger offers than us, but he, he didn't, want his baby so to speak to go to just any old Tom Dick or Harry he wanted uh, somebody that was going to sort somebody, of kick it on somebody's going to look after it because he didn't yeah. really want to leave it yeah we got the site it was in fact it's two years ago to the day today that we took really? it on as a going concern yeah congratulations <laughs> so we ran it as the, the foundry for I think five or six weeks because we had to just to generate a bit of cash flow for the for the refurb because we were going to shut for two weeks and that was obviously going to hurt us because we're not we're on revenue. Um, so we, we ran it as a going concern and people came in and people were upset that the old owners weren't here, but they said they'd give us a go. And, and then we, we had this massive launch on the 5th of May, 2018. And from there, the, the narcissistic name of Matt Healy, ex The Foundry, was born. Um, <laughs> so and, you, put your, you put your name above the door. Yeah, well, I did that. Again, this sort of goes back to the snowboarding hole that was on. I, I, I had an original concept called The Six, and it was going to be a six-course taster menu with a different drink with each course. But then my friends at the time was like, well, nobody knows that, and that's sort of almost like a, a special occasion thing. So if somebody wants to pop in for a little bit of lunch and a glass of wine, they can't really do that if you only offer a six-course taster menu. Um, so he said, everybody knows Matt Healy. Everybody knows, especially in Leeds, everybody knows who you are. So if you 
take over an existing place, just put your name above it. It'll drive footfall to there because of your name, because of the pull, because of the television. It's building on the equity that you already have. It's kind of fast tracking it. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's, that's where sort of Matt Healy at the Foundry was born. Um, I've grown to love it over the two years. I still see, <laughs> it still seems odd saying it out loud, speaking about myself in the third person. And so it's but, been a two-year journey and like, you know, you got that TV show which really helped kind of drive footfall and the brand and now you know you've you've had you open Gron as well the cafe and you also got involved in the beehive which recently you stepped away from so going from like not being a restaurateur to then having three businesses what's that journey been like for you uh it's pretty hectic to be fair like we never really planned on a on a second site so soon but this the, this little cafe space came up right by Round Day Park and we were like, we'd be foolish to not take it on. So we just took the lease, not knowing what we were going to do with it. And then we came up with Gron, green in Swedish. And, you know, we're like, let's be vegan and vegetarian friendly because there's no other restaurant really in that vicinity that offers that sort of USP. Um, so we gave it a shot and and everything in there is there's nods to the foundry in there so we use a local artist called nicholas dixon and we've got a big beautiful mural on the wall in the restaurant at the foundry um so there's little splashes of his artwork up there we've got a neon at the foundry which says food to swear by so i've i'm being known to have a bit of a potty now you drop um, the f-bomb every now and again <laughs> yeah and then but the the, the neon at, um at gron is keep it clean so it's it's almost a polar opposite to, to to what we do here. So keep it clean, food to swear by, but also we're keeping it clean up there with the food. We we, we cater for gluten free, dairy free, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian. We, we we cater for all those diets, and it's it's going really well. So much so that not four weeks ago we opened our second Grand Cafe in York on Low Petergate. Um, Amazing. And do you have plans to take that further, like around the UK, or are you going to keep it in Yorkshire? I think the north. I think, I think historically businesses, especially hospitality businesses that have migrated to the south have, have not done very well, whereas, and, and vice versa. So I guess I, I want to sort of stay in the north. So, but there's, there's plenty to go out up here. The little market towns at Durham, Harrogate, Skipton, um, and then you've got Liverpool, Newcastle, Manchester, you know, all those cities are, are, are there for the taking, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, you, you think it, it works better to kind of stay in your region? Uh, rather than spreading too far away, I think so as well. Um, and then, I could, you know, realistically, then, you know, if, if if I manage my time so that I'm at the the Foundry Restaurant Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when people expect to see me there, then that 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 leaves four days a week to be able to sort of get around all the other sites and and manage that, as opposed to having to drive to or get the train to London, yeah, the two sites down there. Yeah, I, ha- I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, you have to be there, don't you? Um, yeah. In order to to grow the sites and things like that. Yeah. What would you say your um, high five moments have been over the last, I don't know, uh, since you're 15? Like, what are the things that you're, like, really proud of? Um, I guess just getting through it alive. Do you know what I mean? It's a very, <laughs> very sort of, and it's quite dramatic, but it's, it's a real hard industry. This. And when I started cooking when I was 15, it wasn't cool to be a chef. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't cool to wash pots in an Italian restaurant where your mates are gearing up to do their A-levels and going to university and you're taking a complete, the road less travelled, so to speak. Um, and I think that my main high five moment is, is, is making that 
pivot, as you say, um, it's, it's, it's to pushing myself to go work for Simon. And then again, taking a step back and going to work in London. For, mm. for a, there's been many along the way, but I think the, the, biggest, the biggest one was when I realized that I actually enjoy cooking is when I went on to MasterChef. And after I'd lost my dad and stuff, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't care to be stood in the kitchen for 15 hours a day getting shouted at. And then I realized that once my head was, was clear and I knew what direction I wanted to go in, I actually really enjoy cooking. I really enjoy being creative. Because <clears throat> when I was younger, I wasn't very academic. And you can vouch for this, that I was the class clown. And I think that a lot of that comes from insecurity. Um, and there's a lot of wrongs that I've had to right from when I was younger, because I was a bit of a shitbag to many people. And, I've, and you know, that's nobody's fault but my own and not being able to deal with what was being chucked at me when I was younger. And I think that moving forward and, be, and growing up in this industry, it's made me more resilient and it's made me a better person. Mm, oh, yeah. You, you know, you have you have grown and like you're you're now leading teams, you know, responsible for your staff. And I know like you really, really care about you know the people around you your family and and your and your and your team yeah 100 and that that's something that i've seen um, in you it's lovely and so what would you say your challenges have been in terms of getting the business off the ground and 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 taking over a i guess an institution in leeds if you ask anybody about the foundry when it first opened it was like you know these guys are these guys know what they're doing it's a beautiful sort of Parisian style brasserie and then to sort of for them to leave and, and pass it on to me and then completely change the concept that was a that was a huge hurdle to overcome because people have come to expect a certain style of dining here mm. and then after working in London at Terroir um, I wanted to try and adopt that style of dining in Leeds and I, I would say that it worked it's worked sorry about 80%. There's still 20% of people that come in and still don't understand the, the style of informal dining that we offer. Because I don't, I don't offer starters, mains, desserts, coffee, go home. I don't want that. I don't want it to just, I don't want people to just come out for dinner. I want people to come out for dinner and I want them to try things they wouldn't normally try. And I want them to try wines when they wouldn't normally try. I want them to go a little bit off paste and try something vegetarian. Because, you know, if I think about my dad and he was a, meat and two veg type of bloke and you probably get the most beautiful salt aged beef fillet and have it well done do you know what I mean <laughs> so what I try and do is I try and get people to we offer a taster menu here and it's not a taster menu in, in, in a sense that it's 12 courses and each one's a one mouthful it's not that what I want to offer at the restaurant is we have 18 dishes you can come in and you can just graze almost like tapas I hate that term because it's not tapas <laughs> but it's it's informal dining so if informal you want to come in and have some charcuterie it sounds like wine, yeah it sounds like it's like that ex, you want to take people on an exploration like experiencing new things and a bit of comfort zone stuff it kind of represents your journey a little bit doesn't it um totally and like and, and what's lovely is that you've got a vision and you're like, you know, through all of your experiences, you've gone, actually, this is the kind of restaurant I want. And you've, you know, you're holding true to that and creating, creating that, which is hard to kind of change opinion. And you sometimes have to let go of some people and things like that. As the restaurants sort of evolved, yeah, we, we do get pelters and throughout my journey I guess with the original question the challenges are people's opinions and 
and, and, and I've tried to adopt the uh, it's none of my business what people think of me sort of attitude to it but I guess it's quite difficult when you're putting your heart and soul into something and somebody just either doesn't get it or or just doesn't like it do you know what I mean and that's that's been quite difficult to overcome is, is alright not everybody's going to like it but Matt all you've got to do is get on with your life <laughs> yeah but that, because it is public and you get reviews and people write things online or um, yeah critics come and you know it's like I can imagine that that is quite hard for somebody to go you know what not don't fancy this <laughs> and so how do you how do you cope with that uh, not very well mostly <laughs> if you look at my social channels I'm a little I'm, I'm a little bit explosive sometimes but I think that most of the time I let it slide by if I'm getting pelters online or whatever. I don't mind getting constructive criticism and constructive feedback. I'm all for that because I want to be the best that I can be in my field and where I am. And, you know, if somebody comes in and goes, Matt, that was great. However, it was slightly under-seasoned. It was slightly over-seasoned. Or the wine glasses don't sit right. Or whatever. Whatever, whatever it is, I'll be like, right, cool. And, I'll, and, I, and I'll, if I agree... I'll make changes almost immediately. I, I can do that. I'm in a position to be able to make changes immediately. And it, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the different sort of criticism that we get where people become personal. You know, it's not about the wine glasses. It's not about the food. It's about he's got a beard. Why has he got a beard working in the kitchen? It, it, you know, when people are getting personal about what I do, it's, it's, I, I'm almost like an easy target for people. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's... I, I, that's hard because it sounds like you're open to feedback on your work you're open to feedback on tweaking your cooking you know you're happy to like micro pivot the menu if you if, yeah. you know if it makes sense but um being in the public eye just you know it, it comes with people just telling you what they think sometimes and it's not very really nice so um I'm sorry that's happening and you know as it, it it's something that you know as we know it's, it's it's hard for people to deal with on social media it's very difficult but I think that it, it, it doesn't really it doesn't always get to me should I say not really get to me but they'll, yeah. they'll they'll be like for instance yesterday on my social media there was a press release about me stepping away from the Beehive pub which is in fantastic hands now I might add um, my ex-business partner's taking it on is going to take it in a completely different direction and it suits that pub and, and he's 100% going to smash it but then when the press release went out it, it, people were just personally attacking me and I was like I was I got quite upset about it. So I put like a post on Facebook and I was like, you know, what, what, what is wrong with people? And I, the outpouring of, of love and affection for what we're doing has been really, really lovely. And I didn't do it for that sort of response. I just did it as a why, like, why God, why? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was just, it's so frustrating when you're trying to do something and, you know, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like what you're doing. And if that's put across in a, in a constructive way, then you can totally get on board with that and you can get down with that. However, when it's, aggressive I was just say passive aggressive but not even that just straight aggressive and, and nasty it's difficult for me to get my head around that and sometimes I snap and I think that's fair and maybe not always clever but fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's that balance of like building the brand and like being being this being this person and then actually being a human you know behind yeah. it um and and that that is that is a real challenge when you're in the public eye um I would wanted to ask you about coronavirus because you know today it's it's Friday the 13th we're sitting here and you know it is a real problem in this country how yeah. are you kind of pivoting around that and like what what's your stance what, what are you doing about it 
Uh, we're just sort of trying to keep calm and carry on. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really we've got hand sanitizers in the restaurant when people arrive. We've got extra hands. We have hand soap and moisturizer in the bathrooms, but now we've got hand sanitizer in there. I'm making sure all the chefs wear gloves when they prepare the food, and we're just trying to be as as positive as we can about it. It's um, it's really hard, isn't it? Because I mean, like all the footballs just come out, so all the footballs being cancelled, and all big events are being cancelled, and it's it's difficult to sort of keep a a smile on your face when so for example today friday the 13th we we rarely do less than 70 people on a friday and we've got 40 booked today you know yeah. what i mean that's nearly that's nearly half our sales today that's going to affect things going forward and as a small business it's not sustainable that over a, an extended period of time mm. Mm. um so, and so how do you think you're going to ride it ride the next couple of weeks months okay. just gonna have to my contingency is I checked my insurance yesterday and I'm covered <laughs> for yeah. um, infectious disease. So we, we, we are covered, but then, you know, that, that doesn't help anything really because we're going to have to, if, if we have to halt business for two, three weeks, that's also damaging as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just one of those acts of God that I guess we're just going to have to see what happens. It, I wish I had a crystal ball because I really, really don't know where this is going to, where this is going to lead us at all, but it's, at the start, I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. Everyone's getting a bit stressed out about a bit of flow. But yeah, exactly. Really, and now it really seems serious. like it's, it's a thing. Um, yeah. It sounds like you've got, you've got the right mindset to not panic and to you know, d- deal with it as, it as it evolves. What would the old you say to the new you? Did I ask you that? I did. No, not yet. All right. So what, what would the old new, old, what would the old Matt say to the new Matt? He'd probably say, wow, you've done all right. <laughs> and and in, in in to flip that question 180 what i'd say to the younger me would be don't worry everything will work out the way it's meant to work out you're all right just keep pushing on i think that's the most important thing is that i chose a career path and i sort of deviated away from it a little bit and then and then came back to it but ultimately i'm good at what i do and i need to keep telling myself that i think and then that's what i tell my younger self is that you're actually going to be all right <laughs> um that's lovely and what what tips would you give to somebody that wants to get into the the cook, the world of chefing and the restaurant world don't do it no i'm just kidding um i would just just what's how can i word it i would just go to work somewhere really good from a very early age i, w- I wish i had gone to london when i was 17 and got in with somebody phenomenal but then you know everything's worked out all right for me so anybody that wants to get into it i'll just be have a vision go to work for somebody brilliant go to college get all your bits of paper and just learn keep your mouth shut and your head down for 10 years and just mm. learn and, and absorb because the, the catering has changed hospitality restaurants have changed so much in the last sort of 20 years that i've been doing it so much that in another 20 years it's probably going to be completely different either that or it'll just revert back to what it used to be um I, ju- I just i just think it's just important to learn and s- surround yourself by like-minded people i think it's really important yeah it's like goes back to the whole having a really really great mentors and great working for great people so that you can really hone your craft yeah um, definitely. and what would you say like for you and, and your pivots that you've made along the way what would you say like the formula is for it like what are the ingredients that you've had to pull on to make those pivots happen 
I don't know. It's a difficult question. I think it's just a sense of belief. Yeah. You get to points in your career, in your life, where you feel down and you feel like the world is against you. And then if you just sort of take a second and and be grateful for what you've got and, and, and have gratitude for what's around and, and have a little look and go, well, actually, it's not all that bad. What do I need to do? And then create a plan from there. I think that's, that's, that's all I did on mm-hmm. a bit of a wing and a prayer as well. But when I look back, there was sort of, there was sort of method behind the madness, you know? Yeah, because it often can feel like, I know for people that are in it right now, or well, I know when I've been in it, it feels like you don't have a plan and what the hell am I doing? But if you if you do connect to that vision, it's like, okay, where, where do I want to go? And what if I did like step into my power here? Then you kind of like awkwardly find a way to make it happen and can tweak along the way. Yeah, totally. And that's quite an organic way of doing it as well, as opposed I did, you know, map something out. However, be be fluid. Be be ready to sort of turn left when you think you should turn right. Do you know what I mean? And 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 sometimes go with it. Sometimes stick with the plan. Sometimes go with it. But I guess, like you say, unless you're in that zone and that mindset, and you know the destination, so to speak, you don't really know. So, what is next for you? Like, what's your next destination? I think I'm going to try and consolidate. Hopefully. Um, ride this sort of rocky wave with this coronavirus and 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 what have you that's going on at the moment and um and then focus on the foundry try and make that the best it could possibly be and bring the lads on and then eventually i reckon early 2021 start expanding uh the grand cafe brands to, to other cities as we've previously discussed mm, i can't wait to uh to go to those <laughs> they sound fantastic <laughs> and so where can people find you if they want to say hi uh you can find us uh on uh social media at mh foundry and my personal is uh at matty two stone uh don't ask why um <laughs> and we we've got uh updates and menus and and blogs and photos and all that on all our socials for the restaurants and uh at grand cafe leads as well yeah oh brilliant so thank you so much for coming on and um i, I wish you all the best for the next few weeks with this corona virus drama and um and for everything else as well thanks liz thanks for having me thanks so much you can listen to part two to hear what matt did after coronavirus happened and forced his restaurant to close it's in the app store now I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed making it. Please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us grow and continue to bring you amazing guests. The show notes have all the links and references from today's session. And for your weekly dose of Pivot inspiration, sign up to Slick Pivot Sunday, my weekly newsletter at slickpivot.com. Until our next session together, stay nimble and remember, no pivot is ever slick.